Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Ikuzo's Unscripted Podcast. 58 years ago in Warner Robins, Georgia, the world's most dangerous man was born. Fighter and survivor since his hardcore childhood, MMA, pro wrestling, and most recently, bare knuckle fighting cemented him as one of the biggest names in the combat sports industry. Ladies and gentlemen, pioneer of UFC and first super fight champion, UFC Hall of Famer, Impact Wrestling Hall of Famer, first foreign MMA champion in Japan, and I dare uh, to say, future WWE Hall of Famer, Ken Shamrock. Mr. Shamrock, we are ready for the best interview on our show so far, but are you ready to go genuine, uncensored, and unscripted with us today? Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. Thank you. Well, Ken, you are the living personification of survival of the fittest. And more than any of us, you know how hard you can get kicked over and over again. But you stood up and you earned the moniker of the world's most dangerous man. And every now and then you fought not only the opponents, but injuries as well. You performed injured. And what I want to know uh, more than anything is what is the mindset of the champion? Is it to never lose or to never stop? Uh, I think first of all, when when you're when you have that ability to become the world champion um, and the mindset to do that, um, it, it it literally comes with the mindset, I believe, of being able to put yourself in the best position to have those chances to be a world champion. Um, it doesn't just get handed to you, you know. And there's a lot of great athletes out there. Um, that go in and, and, and have opportunities. But to really reach the level, the elite level of a Hall of Famer, um, a multi-time uh, defending champion in multiple weight classes, multiple um, companies, I, it's a mindset, I believe, of a champion, somebody that expects to win. Um, but not only do they expect to win, but they also know what it takes to win. And in that case, is putting in the training, you know, bringing in the right people, putting yourself in positions that are very uncomfortable, um, putting yourself through things that most people put themselves through um, uh, to be able to prepare yourself to be the best in the world. And that's what I did in training. That's what I did in the gym. That's what I did for other fighters. I made it the toughest place to be in the gym uh, to train and work out because when you walked into the to the cage, Uh, you have to make, go into that cage being completely confident that you did everything you needed to to be able to be successful. And that's what we did in training. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. I uh, I don't know if it completely applies to, for example, fighting, but uh, I've heard you say in Bolt, say uh, competition is easy. Uh, the training is the hard part. Would you somehow agree with that? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't say easy, but I would say if you're comparing the two, Um, going in to fight is fun. I mean, on fight night, that's the payoff. That's, you know, where you're getting your paycheck. You put all the work in, you did all the grungy, dirty work, and now you're getting handed a check. Um, for me, that's what fighting is. You go into the gym, you put in all the grungy work, you train hard, put yourself through rigorous, tough times. Then you get a walk in and get just put it all out on the show. What you worked on, what you trained on. And, and how ready you are. And then you get to go out there and show the world who you are because you're in shape, because you're ready for the fight. And to me, I think that's where when you walk in to fight, that's fun. The training, I mean, obviously I love training, no question, but it, nothing compares to walking out in front of 60 or 70,000 people and uh, over a million people watching out there on TV and just go out there and showcase everything you've done that's that's a rush mm, yeah yeah uh, let me ask you this you know uh i'm an mma fan and uh, been for the you know regularly watching five six years uh now uh i remember when ufc put out the the, the video on their youtube channel of ufc one uh it was i believe you versus royce gracie uh and, and i'm watching and i'm uh 
then knowing what what was the MMA and UFC in 2016 and watching this video I'm like what the fuck is this did you have that kind of feeling when you were uh, at the UFC one and uh, watching it now th- almost 30 years later do you have like feeling oh how much this has evolved and what this has become did you have that kind of feeling when you're watching now yeah one when, when I first heard about it Um, and I've said this many times in interviews when people interviewed me about the beginning days, I believed that there was no way it was going to happen. Um, you know, this was back, you know, in 93 and to think that you would be able to walk up and kick another human being in the face while they're on the ground was just, I mean, it's asinine. You just think in no way you see that in movies, there's no way they're going to let that happen. So for me, I was already fighting over in Japan. I was a defending champion uh, in Japan in mixed martial arts. Here they were going to do this thing here in the United States where it was no holes barred. I mean, literally anything goes. And in my mind, when they were pitching it to me, I'm going, shut up. Like, (laughs) this is not like the, I mean, yeah, maybe if we were doing it in a third world country and we were on some private property or something, we could fight to the death. (laughs) <laughs> but you're going to televise it on pay-per-view and you're saying you're going to be able to i just didn't believe it was so but i still signed up to do it because i always thought to myself man i mean if you ever wanted to find out who was really truly the baddest guy on the planet this would be the way to do it and so i went ahead and bit bit on it and just you know decide okay i'm gonna do it let's see where it goes with the idea of it's not happening. And I remember telling Tanaki and Suzuki, who I was uh, doing the organization tankers over there with those guys, and I pitched it to them and told them what was happening. And they were kind of like, huh? They did some research on it, and they, they found the Gracie brothers and showed things that they were doing. And so he was like, yeah, it doesn't look like no holes barred to me. It looks like they you know, got geese and they're holding, and they do punch, but it's not like brutal or anything. And so they came to my my fight, right, after I said I was going to do the first one. And we flew three days prior to me actually fighting because I defended my title against Fouquet. I knocked him out with a knee. I fly to Denver, Colorado three days prior to me having to fight because in my mind I'm going, this has got to be a pro wrestling gig. It, it's got to be. <laughs> They're going to pull us aside and say, hey, this is how it's going to go. Um, so we get there. And that 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 meeting never happened. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it didn't happen. The only meeting that happened was, which was disappointing, but at the time nobody knew any better. But now, now this many years later, you realize what was happening. But they came in, basically said no rules, anything goes, you know, no time limit. And then they say they're going to have a rules meeting, and we're like, this is where I was like, okay, here we go. Now <laughs> we're getting to the bottom of it. But when we had the rules meeting, it was more of a opportunity for them to be able to put rules in that kind of favored, you know, hoist a little bit because they wouldn't let um, Kevin Rozier tape his hands. They wouldn't let Zane Frazier wear his kick pads. Um, and I didn't understand the hand taping either why they wouldn't let a guy tape his hand when they turned around and let Art Jimerson wear one boxing glove. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now we know because when you take your hands, you make it like a rock now, right? And you don't break your hand, whereas guys broke their hands. Gerard Goodell broke his hand um, and his foot uh, fighting. And if he'd have been able to tape his hands, who knows what would have happened. But when they said rules meeting, it was like ding, ding, ding. But it never got to the point where people are like, oh, this isn't real. It was like, oh, this is real. Uh, and, and, and of course, the very first fight happens. And, uh, you know, the football kick to the face and teeth go flying in the front row. From that point on, man, um, there's no way anybody could deny that this was the real deal. So the story is true that you didn't know it, it's going to be real until the first bout. But uh, <laughs> crazy. <laughs> But did you maybe touch about uh, just dropping this match or something? Say okay. that again? Uh, did you did you think about dropping this match after you saw the first fight or something? I believe not. No way, man. If anything, I got excited because the whole time I'm thinking there's no way they can do this, but I was already fighting in Japan. Yeah, yeah, I know. You know, and it was like what we have now with, with uh, UFC and stuff, you mm-hmm. know, uh, but it was open hands and they had broken yeah. skates. A little bit different, but kind of the same mixed martial arts type thing. Mm-hmm. And now they were saying it was, you know, 
Knowles bar bearing up the street fight, go out and do what you want to do, style against style. And and I was, I was to me, the reason why I bid on it was because of that, because there was an opportunity that this could happen. And I thought to me, if if this was going to happen, I wanted to be a part of it because that was my DNA. I mean, literally, I was a street fighter. That's where I came yeah. from. Yeah. Um, so when they said that, I just kind of hung around just to see maybe it would, you know, and it did. I mean, it literally did. It turned into what I thought it would, other than, you know, there were rules like they took my shoes away. Which yeah. I didn't understand that. It was supposed to be anything goes, no rules, go in there and do your thing, style against style. But it was what it was. And uh, so, but that, I think that's what really set the tone um, for what we have today, because I think if it would have been anything else, um, that would have been maybe maybe I go first or Hoist goes first in a fight and we do what we do with submissions, people would have booed us out of the stadium. They would yeah. have like started, yeah. I mean, they would have walked, they'd have said it was fake. Nobody knew it, right? But yeah. because somebody got kicked in the face, <laughs> that was easily digested. Like they knew what that was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of Japan, you, Funaki, Suzuki, you, you founded Punk Race, basically. And around the same time, that's 93, and UFC started. And uh, that's when you get to the stage when the student surpasses the teacher when you defeated Funaki at Punk Race. Am I right? And Punk Race is, the, like you talked about, the hybrid between pro wrestling and MMA. And do you consider it crossroads for you to switch from pro wrestling to MMA? Absolutely. I think um, UFC, um, even that uh, is, is a crossover. Mm -hmm. um, there's so much, so much connection to the two because it really is, even though the other one is about entertainment, but it's about aggressive physical entertainment where you're doing moves and slams and you got to be a stunt man and, and, and an actor. And everything Whereas fighting is kind of the same thing, except for when you go in to do fighting, you know, you're going in there and it's the real deal. You're going in there and you're taking each other out. Um, but I think the concept uh, of character and style um, fits well with guys like Conor McGregor, um, even Patty, uh, yeah. the, the great Patty, uh, great fighter just now coming into his own. Um, there's a lot of those characters that you see that people connect with. Um, John Jones, even though he's got a kind of this bad boy thing. Tito yeah. Ortiz. You know, uh, Chuck Liddell, um, you know, there's just all these characters that people think, yeah, they love the fighting, obviously, and you got to win, obviously. But the ones that usually stand out are guys like Brock Lesnar, people that literally have this charisma, this character that fans can, can, can connect to. And so I truly believe that wrestling and fighting are, are kind of along the same lines as far as what fans want to see. Yeah, I mean... Uh... Basically, when you look at the UFC today, I often say uh, fighters are, they're all so different. That's what I like about uh, not just fighting aspect, but fighters are generally interesting personalities. Like you have guys like Conor McGregor, like Tony Ferguson, like uh, John Jones, like, you know, Yuri Prohaska. You know, they're all characters in some sense, you know, they're just real or uh, maybe realer than professional wrestling, but it's kind of the same thing, like you're speaking. Uh, but let me let me ask you this. Like, you came into WWE in the late 90s, and uh, it's what we consider a greatest era in professional wrestling today, still. Uh, did the guys in the locker room knew who you were and your pedigree from Japan and maybe from UFC? And what was the uh, reception you got in the locker room at the time? Yeah, they all knew where I who I was and where I came from. Um, and uh, there was a tremendous amount of respect. Um, but but there was a tremendous amount of respect shown towards them, too, uh, because I knew what I was going into. They were the professionals and I was the rookie. Uh, no matter where I came from in the fight world. Yeah, I was the man there. But now I'm going into this locker room where all these guys are, are much better than I am. They know so much more than I do. Uh, and so I had to come in with that attitude. That way it gave them the opportunity to be able to respect me and to be able to um, work with me. Uh, because it, a lot of times guys come in from other sports and they believe they should bring that, that popularity with them. 
um, and that 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 throne with them. And I didn't do that. I, I knew when I came in that I had to earn my stripes. I had to give earn my respect uh, and earn their trust because wrestling is, is a lot of trust in wrestling, working with each other. And so I knew there was a lot of things I had to do in order to be able to um, get the locker room's respect um, while I was there working and, and be able to become one of them. And I think within about six months, I was able to do that. Mm, yeah. Well, uh, but we often hear about that backstage stories in pro wrestling and experience, experiences from tours. Apart from on-screen stuff, uh, what would you say is the highlight of your time in WWF? Uh, man, I, I was fortunate, truly blessed uh, to have all the opportunities that I did. Because when I went in there, I didn't go in there as an undercard guy. I went in there as a main eventer. And so, therefore, I got to work with Stone Cold. I got to work with Bret Hart. I got to work with Undertaker. I got to work with Hunter Hearst. I mean, I got to work with Shawn Michaels. I mean, I can, the list goes on. I worked with all of them. And uh, so, can you imagine uh, coming in there and right away being able to work with all the top talent? I mean, it was amazing. They were all different in their own way as far as excitement for me. Um, I would say probably rock, The Rock because I got to work a program with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to, you know, experience a lot of great matches, uh, a lot of ups and downs. We learned a lot uh, with one another when we were working through um, our program, uh, going in different directions. Um, but, yeah, it was <laughs> – It was like a, uh, it was like a just a complete rush from the time that I stepped into the ring until the day I left. There was no slowing down. I mean, I was there for probably two and a half years, and it was from the time I stepped in there till the time that I literally walked away, it was full go. And so I really enjoyed it. Enjoyed my time there. It, obviously, I would have liked to been able to probably stay a little longer, but uh, I really had the itch to go back and really trying to do what I really made my name in which was fighting and so i wanted to make sure that i finished my career doing what i love doing um and my the first love which was fighting combat and make sure that i went in and got every ounce of, of what i could out of me hmm. yeah uh what was this uh what was it like uh being at uh, the wrestlemania i know it's you know a general question but uh we never been to wrestlemania so <laughs> i have to ask for experience Yeah, you know, it's a big show. I mean, you think about all the biggest shows in the world, right? I mean, this was as big as any of them. You got all kinds of interviews and press and, and media go hyped for, you know, two weeks. Um, you know, then the crowd is just amazing. All week long leading up into the event is just, I mean, it's just a buzz. And then, of course, walking into the ring and just the sound that you get the, from the crowd, just the pop, the loudness the excitement, the electricity. Um, it was like a Super Bowl. I mean, like, uh, you know, a concert. It, it just was so deafening and it was so loud. Um, it was a great experience. And I don't, there's not not too many people other than performers that literally get to experience something like that. And that's the, and I said, people ask me why, why fighting or why did I fall in love with fighting? And And I think part of it was, When I first stepped into the ring uh, in Japan in front of 17,000 people, I won my first fight and people started chanting my name. Wow. Uh, that that rush after that fight, I mean, I've done a lot of things and I've won a lot of things, but I'm telling you, the crowd is what really pumped me. It's what really kept me driving for more and to be great because I wanted that approval. I wanted that noise. I wanted that pop. I wanted to be great. And I wanted them screaming my name. And so I put all that work in and it's like walking into WrestleMania, you know, I mean, like you just never, ever find anything to fill that excitement. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Like, like you mentioned uh, just now, Paddy the Betty Pimplet uh, best weekend in London. I mean, uh, the biggest chant ever maybe in, in the UFC, like how, how can you lose after that? <laughs> Realistically. <laughs> So, you know, I think that's one thing. I think most people, either one, they rise rise to the occasion or some people fall. 
Hmm. And uh, Patty's a guy that's going to rise to the occasion, you know, and uh, that that's what keeps, I don't know if a lot of people understand this, but for us fighters or for any kind of entertainers, crowd means something. I mean, like the noise and the excitement is what really drives us. It's what really puts us out there and really want to perform and do what we do, at least for me. And I know a lot of the guys I've talked to, crowd is a big difference when they get loud. Mm, yeah. And and back to the backstage in the locker rooms, you know, as at the every place on the face of the earth, uh, there's argument. And has anyone dared after you gained your respect to, to mess with the world's most dangerous man? We often uh, hear about the stories from Jericho and Lesnar and stuff like that. I'm, I mean, there was only one one time that anybody ever wanted to roll with me or to practice. I was in the ring with Steve Blackman. I was going over some submission holds with them. And um, uh, a few guys came up to the ring. Uh, and um, I don't want to mention their names, but there was about three of them. And I've, I've told the story before. So maybe the, the, you guys might know this one. But I haven't heard it yet. Yeah. Basically I'm in the role with Blackman and <clears throat> I let this dude walks up. One of the wrestlers, Walks up and he goes, oh, man, I can do all this. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll lay on the ground. You can grab whatever holds you want. I'll bet within a minute I'll have you tapping out. <laughs> and he kind of laughed and just playing around, right? And so he's, okay, I'll do it. So I get up there, I lay down. He grabs his hold. 30 seconds, he's tapping. <laughs> a lot of the wrestlers were standing around watching. Um, Steve Black being one of them. But um, I, it was pretty well known. Um through the locker room that, you know, you didn't mess with me. Um, <laughs> but I was also the kind of guy that respected everyone and I didn't yeah. cause any problems and I respected them. But when it came to the, the level of talent, a level of actual fighting, everybody knew where they stood. Mm. Uh, did you ever have the chance maybe to roll with uh, Kurt Angle? I think he's maybe the guy that can match you. Yeah, I was there, but... Um, Kurt Angle will tell you, at least if he's being honest, right? I mean, like, he, he doesn't stand a chance in a, in a submission match mm -hmm. at all. Now, a wrestling match, that's a different story because he's a great wrestler. That's like Obviously. me going in there saying that I could beat Kurt Angle in wrestling. That's stupid, right? This is not going to happen. Um, but now you walk into my world where I was a world champion in two different countries um, and multiple uh, different weight class, light, heavy, and heavy, uh, and was a champion. And also, uh, in 94, the, the best fighter in the world, ranked number one fighter in the world. Um, yeah, so you get a guy coming in from another sport, whether it's wrestling, boxing, whatever it is, and come into my sport, obviously, anybody that's in their right mind is going to realize, well, yeah, the, the scale is going to tip one way. It's just the way it is. I mean, I didn't become a world champion and do what I did because I didn't beat the best in the world. Yeah. We saw that with Floyd and Connor. <laughs> right. Right. You also spoke in the interview with Chris Van Villet. That's where you mentioned the ankle lock and how you should do it. Uh, that WWE uh, doesn't respect your legacy enough, but what would take for Ken Shamrock to return to Raw once again? Would the sincere phone call be enough or something more? No, I, I don't have uh, I don't have any issues with WWF at all. I yeah, mean, yeah, I obviously, you know, we all have, you know, things that, you know, happen and, and you know, wish they didn't. But, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, and I think they are too, man, it's just business as usual. If, if it makes sense, then yeah, of course we would do it. But uh, the only ones that make sense to me are matches like um, Kurt Angle, um, you know, Brock Lesnar, uh, guys like that, that, you know, matches that probably should have happened that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those things like that, yeah, I would love to do it. In fact, I've got a match I'm doing in Philly. Uh, on the weekend of the seventh, I believe it is, um, with Davy Boy uh, Smith Jr. Hmm. Um, so I'm going to be doing a wrestling match down there. So I'm still competing, still getting in the ring, rolling around with some of these guys. Uh, so yeah, it should be fun. But again, like I said, WWF or any organization, 
Um, if it makes sense, absolutely. I enjoy wrestling. It's entertainment. It's fun. And uh, I, I can still go. So. Yeah, and, and there's that famous metaphor that the soldier can't live without the war. And you know, you you said now that you are still still competing. And I want to ask you, as a fighter, can you live without the fight? Because, in one way or another, you are in the business for more than three decades. Yeah, it's I've said this before. You know, um, a lot of people fight um, for a career or a job, um, but I fight because it's my way of living. Um, it's who I am. It's who I'll always be. And, um, I'll never stop being a fighter. I don't care if I'm 80 years old. That's just who I am, period. So though days of people saying that I'm retired, I won't fight anymore. I just won't say that because I will always be a fighter. And I don't believe that at any point in time in my life, if someone steps up and does something to me that I won't defend myself. Yeah. Yeah, but listen, when you're when you're in the sports like, you know, MMA, obviously that's so dangerous and uh, in professional wrestling that causes so many injuries. We know so many guys that have a problem with their knees, with their shoulders, everything. Uh tell me on that how, how difficult was it to deal with that, you know, with I mean, with pro wrestling, some guys are wrestling 200 days a year. I mean, how crazy of a schedule is that? You know, how did you handle the physical toughness of it, so to speak? And how different is it from MMA? A lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's good because I, for me, I thought that wrestling was a lot harder than MMA um, because of the schedule. Uh, we would go 10 days in a row, go home, come home for three, and then go back out for four, come home for two, three, then go back out for another seven or eight. So we were we were out more than we were home. Yeah. Uh, and that takes a toll on your body because you don't get the chance to heal uh, uh, for a long period of time. It's always out there and people go, well, yeah, but it's entertainment. It, you're not really. No, uh, we take the same kind of punishment and pounding on our body than do guys do when they're training because we're getting slammed. We're getting kicked. We're getting hit with chairs. They're still there. We're just learning how to take them. Yeah, uh, doesn't mean that they're not landing still. They are. And so if you put add that in on the amount of days that you're doing that a year and you do it for multiple years, that's a lot of punishment on your body. That's what I think most people don't realize about pro wrestling is that it may not be in their competitive as far as winning and getting your hand raised, but it's very, very competitive when you're in there trying to do it every day, taking those kind of bumps day in and day out and then come back and have to do it again all over again. For 360-something days a year, uh, it's brutal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, I think I read that uh, Rey Mysterio, like, uh, did the surgery on his knee five, six times. I mean, crazy, right? You know? Well, I broke my neck twice, and yeah. I've got brackets in my neck, one through seven, my lower back, one through three, titanium ball on my shoulder, uh, metal in my left knee. <clears throat> you know, broken nose many times, concussion. So <clears throat> there's uh, being an athlete, uh, it, it, and especially if you do it for a long period of time at a very high level, uh, you're in days, you have to be very, very, very cautious and conscious of how you're living your life as you get older and making sure that you're taking care of yourself. Because otherwise, like you're seeing a lot of these other guys um, dying in their 50s, late 50s and early 60s, because they just give up they just they don't have the ability or the mindset to fight anymore um and because of the probably the way they did not take care of themselves after they were done being an athlete for me i think it's a it's a it's it's a way of life uh to be able to take care of your body be able to train be able to stay in shape you don't stop doing it just because you stop doing what you love doing which is you know being a professional athlete You don't just stop doing that. It's like being a musician, right? When musicians play their music, when they get done, stop playing on stage, they still play at home. They still, you know, get their guitar, their drums, or do whatever they do. And they play around with it because that's who they are. Athletes should, should think the same thing. You don't stop being an athlete. You got to continue to keep doing what you've been doing because with all the injuries that you've accumulated over the years at being a great athlete, will catch up to you and bury you 
if you don't keep it in check by staying fit. Yeah. And uh, I hate when I hear, uh, because we have a debate uh, almost uh, daily about res- pro wrestling being fake, because fake is wrong term, just it's scripted, but it's not fake. Pain is real, like everywhere. So how do you feel if you have a conversation with someone from MMA world, for example, does someone say that wrestling is fake? And how do and you I would tell them I would tell them to get on their knees and let me hit them in the head with a chair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. seriously, it's like, let me hit you in the head with a chair and tell me how this feels. You know how it feels. <laughs> we take them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, and I think one of the underrated things about uh, pro wrestling as well, especially back in the day, I mean, the lifestyles, like you said, you're on the road constantly. The lifestyles that you live, I mean, because you're not home, you're from hotel to hotel, you're probably, a lot of guys were having problems with drinking. Like uh, Roddy Piper, unfortunately, uh, said, I wouldn't live to 65 because of the lifestyle I lived. And he died at 61. I mean, it's such a crazy lifestyle when you think about it. Well, I, I, I think there's choices that uh, that are made um as you get older in your career when you start declining a little bit there's there's this thing that goes off in your head um that you need to keep doing uh that kind of 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 perfection um and it just doesn't work out that way so then when you can't do that um this other thing starts creeping in there on how to cover up that that weakness or that insecurity And that usually comes down to drugs, alcohol, and women um, to cover, to cover the insecurities. Um, They start masking it with other things. And after they get towards the end of their career uh, to a point to where they're literally being pushed out because they're too old, um, they've already developed all these bad habits because of the pain and the soreness and not being able to do the things they used to be able to do and to heal as quick they cover it with other stuff, other drugs and alcohol and women and make them feel good. And it doesn't stop once they get out of the league or out of the wrestling or out of whatever it is they're doing. None of that stops. They just keep doing it. And now they've got more time to do it and they got nobody watching them to do it. And everything starts to deteriorate and there's nothing to stop them because they've got all the money they need to just keep doing it and having the life they want to have. And they believe that there's nothing left for them anymore. And to me, that's sad because there's so much more life after if you would just give it a chance, if you just give it a shot to be able to live healthy and be healthy and take care of yourself so that people will be able to enjoy you a lot longer, but not in the ring, but outside the ring. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, Back in 93, you joined Punk Craze because you believed in shoot-style wrestling. Even Ali had a shoot-wrestling match with Inoki in Japan, if I'm correct. And Lions Den was famous for uh, propagating it. And most recently, Matt Ridley adopted it into his style. Really? And, uh, Matt Riddle. And uh, what do you think it's uh, superior? Why do you think it's superior to other wrestling styles? Um... I'm not sure what you asked. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you you are uh, propagating shoot style wrestling, right? And do you think it's superior to other wrestling styles or just your family? Uh, it's it's uh, yeah, that's hard because I think people put names on on styles. And it, it's not like, for instance, everybody keeps saying um, that these guys in the UFC or some of these fights, their jujitsu is really good. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, that's yeah, but is it jujitsu or is it shoot fighting? Is it shoot style? Is it catch wrestling? Because everything I know about jujitsu, there's no striking. And there's no leg game. And this is everything that goes on when you're looking at an MMA fight. So how was that jujitsu? <laughs> I don't understand that. Okay. So they took jujitsu, but that doesn't mean what they're doing inside of cage is jujitsu because jujitsu is very limited on what you can do. 
Uh, and it has a gi. Sometimes it's bareback. But it's all chokes, arm bars, and things of that nature. So when you throw in the punching, the kicking, the elbows, the knees, um, the leg locks, it's not jujitsu. Um, so I, it frustrates me when you say, oh, man, he's got a good jujitsu uh, ground game. It's like, okay, his background's jujitsu, but he's got a great grappling or defensive grappling or whatever you want to call it in his style. But that's not what they're doing in there. <laughs> it's mixed martial arts. That's what they're doing. Um, so whether they call it catch wrestling, because catch wrestling, to, in my knowledge, is not um, the same thing. Because when you talk about catch wrestling, they don't punch either. Um, so, yeah, it's just to me, it's weird. What do you call it? it? To me, it's called mixed martial arts. It's not a nobody owns that. Like nobody says, well, that's my style. Yeah. I just believe it's mixed martial arts, and 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 that's what it was meant to be was for all these styles to come together and compete in this organization. And then you can say, you know, I teach jujitsu. Come learn jujitsu. I'll teach you how to fight and be an MMA fighter. That that that's good. But I just don't like when people start wanting to own it. Like you know, that's my style. I, I you come train with me. I'll teach you how to do that. It's like no, that's not it. It's mixed martial arts. So you got to learn a lot of things to go in there and compete. Yeah, so it's like with the moves because uh, you were asked many times about the ankle lock and Kurt adapting it later. But it's it's the compliment to you and to your performance. Am I right? And you do not have any grudge because someone else used that move. It means that you did something good. I mean, it's an honor, right? I mean, yeah. someone comes in and jumps and uses it. I mean, that's telling you that you made an impact on somebody mm -hmm. or, or or on a whole on fans because it's being used now by Ronda Rousey. Yeah. Uh, and she's using it. And of course, they want to, you know, relate it to Kurt Angle, you know, um, for whatever reason, uh, they're, they <laughs> they won't be uh, like not non-existent. But um, no matter what happens, this, that's never going to happen. Um whether it's in mixed martial arts or wrestling, I was the first to do it coming yeah. from there, being able to adopt all these things into pro wrestling and being able to do the very first submission um, when it came to the UFC and on a, on a TV or pay-per-view, I was the first guy to do a submission. Um, so and it was a leg lock. Yeah. So these are things that no matter how much anybody tries to, to shovel under the rug, Reality is, is that they can't do that because history will always rise to the occasion and tell the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, like you don't have like owner's rights on the moves. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. It's like I don't care who they say does it, um, whether it's Kurt Angle or not. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, it, it is what it is. But um, history, I mean, the history is, is always going to be fact. And fact is, is that I was the first one to do it. Uh, I was the first one to do it here in the States, um, in the UFC. I was the first one to do it in the pro wrestling ring. Um, and I was the first one to do a lot of things. Arm bar from a choke slam on, on The Undertaker. When he went to choke slam me, I flipped him into an arm bar. Um, so I was able to incorporate a lot of submission holes into wrestling. Um, and because I was the first one to do it. So for me, it's it it's not about you know stats and, and being patted on the back. It's just about me knowing that I was a part of something and helped change something to to the better. Yeah. Not a lot of guys think like that. That that's great. <laughs> uh, let me ask you this. I mean, uh, you you had some fights. Uh, you I heard you speaking about how. Uh, after the many knee injuries, you uh, kind of retracted from your grappling heavy style more to the striking because you had to adapt. You couldn't shoot with your knees for double legs and things like that. Uh, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, how difficult was it uh, transitioning to uh, striking heavy style? And uh, do you, are you still preferring to, you know, go on the ground and, you know, uh, grapple or are you you know, if you could physically, or, or are you a striking guy uh, from, from then on? Um, I, I do. I can do both. Um, the hard part is the transition from the ground to the feet. Um, as you saw when I fought um, um, Kimbo. Yeah. Uh, I, once I hit the ground, I rolled off of him. 
he was able to just, and he's not that good at getting to his feet either, but he was still a lot faster than I was just because of, you know, the bad knees. I wasn't able to scramble to my feet as fast. He was able to catch me with a punch while I was still on my knees. Um, so, but when I was on the ground and I had him, I controlled him. If I'm on the ground and I'm moving on the ground, I'm good. But if by chance someone gets away and goes to their feet, it takes me a little bit longer than most people to get back there. So that's the only issue uh, is the transition from the ground to the feet and from feet to the ground. Mm. Uh, you you also uh, had a couple of fights in Pride, Pride Fighting Championship, which uh, if you're looking at it from today's perspective, me as MMA fan, it almost looked like it isn't real because it looks like it's from the video game. I mean, the entrance music, uh, the theme, uh, the guys that were fighting like Mirko Filipovic, ex uh, uh, captain of terrorist, uh, anti-terrorist uh, organization. You have guy like Fedor and all these characters like from, from the video games. Uh, what was fighting in, in, in Pride like? Because it almost... Like you're watching those old videos, like Don Fry fighting with, uh, I forgot the name of a Japanese guy, when they are just punching each other in the head. What was it like fighting in Pride? What was the feeling? Because it seems a lot different than what we have today. Yeah, it was. Um, it definitely was a little bit in my, I thought they their heavyweights were a lot more flamboyant. Um, they had a lot more character. Their 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 entrance into the ring was a lot more amped up, which got gave gave you a little bit more of a feeling of each fighter and who they were and their character. Um, and it wasn't in a setting of like you know like a fight profile and a fight thing. It was more theatrical. It yeah. was more entertaining. But when they got in the ring, it was still fighting. You know, they still had to go at one another. But I thought the the heavyweights, the light heavyweights and the heavyweights, um, there was a lot more guys there that were willing to bang with each other rather than go to the ground. Um, as the UFC, where a lot of guys were very, they were starting to move into the ground game more. Um, and you started seeing that transition. But in, the, in, in Pride, there was a lot of K-1 fighters, a lot of guys that stood up and fought. So you had a lot more fights where guys were banging at the heavyweight. And that's exciting to watch. Yeah, it's uh, uh, like uh, the only guy I can remember was uh, Kevin Randleman slamming Fedor on the on his head, and uh, maybe Rampage picking you up and slamming you into oblivion. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, uh, obviously, the game evolves, and uh, a lot of different styles are adapted, and a lot of different things come together. Uh, you know, but wrestling, like you mentioned, I believe it's still it's still proven to be the best background because you look at the GOATs, people we consider the GOATs of MMA, like John Jones or George St. Pierre or uh, Habib, they all have a wrestling background. So do you think that wrestling is still uh, like the background that you should pursue for the, if you can, obviously, for the MMA? Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, it really gives you a foundation on how to build off of your wrestling. If you've got, uh, you're a really good wrestler, you can build off of that from whatever leg locks and arm bars and all of that stuff. You can literally build off that because you have already have an understanding of leverage because your wrestling is all about leverage. So I think that you learn a lot faster and you understand positioning on the ground a lot faster. As far as learning to strike, I think that's probably the simplest part of mm -hmm. fighting because anybody knows how to throw a punch, maybe not right, and maybe not with leverage or power, but you can teach it, right? And and people have an understanding of you a little bit better with this. But when you hit the ground to understand leverage and angles on the ground, that takes a lot more time to really to get down. So I think if you come in with the already having that foundation on the ground of leverage, understanding leverage, you're going to move a lot faster uh, in your career. Mm, yeah, and, and I have to ask... Uh, is uh, loss the feeder because when i lose something in, in game of football with friends i feel like shit. and how, how does the fighter feel after losing is he more and more motivated feeling that rage wanting to punch everybody or what it's different right because when you're training for a fight you got a three-month period that you're really focused 
on your fight and you're doing your training, your diet, your rest, and everything is focused for that one night. Whether you win or you lose, there's a letdown because you've accomplished what you accomplished and then it's over, right? The excitement's there if you win, right? Yeah, but the next day, everything's calm and you're, you're, you're lost. Like you're literally going, okay, what's next? Because you, you don't, you've never looked past that. So it's literally the first time in three months that you literally focused on anything other than that day. And yeah. so you're just kind of like, uh, you're flat, you know, you know, you just won, but you, you're, you're kind of in this, this zone where like, where am I at? What am I going to do now? What's next? But if you lose and you're in that same zone, because again, same thing, you were focused mm-hmm. on this one thing and then you've never thought past that, just that. And so now that you're in that moment and you've lost, now it's even triple the concern or the frustration of what's next. Like, is there a next for me? Mm -hmm. Am I going to fight again? Even though you have a career and you're still good and everybody wants, it's still in your mind like you lost. It's that if again, like, am I going to fight again? Or am I good enough? Or all these things come in when you lose. And it's, Again, in my early in my career, I didn't I didn't experience a lot of that. I won everywhere I went, uh, accomplished the elite. But as I got older, those things happened. Right, I started to lose yeah. and really start questioning it. I got, but for me, it was always about you know what, I'm going to put this on ice. I'm going to get back in the gym. I'm going to start training, and let's just see where it goes. Um, so I think that if I could give any fighter advice on that letdown. It's literally take time away, spend it with your family or whoever you're going to spend it with. Enjoy yourself. Let your body heal, recover. Don't talk about fighting. Just enjoy yourself. And then as soon as you can, get back in the gym because that that working out and that feeling of working out gives you a sense of security, mm-hmm. sense of, of placement. Um, and so getting in there after you, you got to rest, you got to go out and have fun. Enjoy yourself because you put three months in. Um, and you got to make sure you make time for things that are, are important in life and uh, not in the fight game. So it's really important after to do that. But then once you get there, man, you get back in the gym because that's where you understand who you are and where you're going. Mm. Uh, it's, but, you know, like Peter mentioned, you we lose a game of football and we feel like shit. I mean, if you don't, why, why are you playing? Uh, but uh, is it a little bit different with fighting again? Because, I mean, you... Uh, I heard some fighter uh, talking about this and I, it was surreal to me because it was true. He said, uh, like, it's different because if that guy, it, if it was a real life and I was choked out, I would have died, basically. So mentally, it is a lot different for me to think, oh, yeah, it's a loss. Who gives a fuck? You know, it's a uh, fucks you up mentally because, wow, it's almost life death thing <laughs> in some sense. Well, and it's not that though, because I, and I, and again, um, it's not for everyone. But if you're talking about the elite fighters, guys that are world champions, we got there by winning and not losing very little at all, right? Sometimes we have an off day, we go back, we destroy the rest of the people, we just we get there, right? <laughs> so to get to a point to where you're being dominated and you're losing, like I did at the end of my career, that's humbling. That's very humbling because I no one has ever been able to do that to me physically. I've always been the dominant one. Even when I lost the fight, it wasn't it wasn't because I got destroyed. It was because someone just outpointed me. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, I, when I was in my prime, no one ever just beat me. You know, it was a mm-hmm. tough fight. You know, uh, I think I was twenty seven and three at one time. So I was I was in the elite. So, but when you get to that point and you start losing, and it doesn't stop. It's hard because you've never, ever had to experience that of not being able to do what you say you're going to do physically. Um, and so it is a challenge. But for me, it was always about just going in and challenging myself and getting myself back into shape, staying in the gym, preparing for the next thing. And it kept me out of trouble. It kept me from getting depressed. Even when I was losing, as long as I kept getting back into it and telling myself I'll get over it, it was good. But then when it came to the day where it's just like, You're not getting better. You're getting worse. You know, uh, there was choices, but I didn't go in and say, I'm retiring, put my shoes down, I'm gonna walk away. I had a great career. I didn't do that because I, I didn't want to, I'm not ever stopping. I'm always going to be there. 
even though I'm never probably going to go in a ring again, but I'm never going to say I'm not going in a fight ever. I just won't do that. Um, and I think like for me and not everybody, but for me, it's just, it's, it's my mindset of like never saying I've, I'm done. I give up or uh, I'm, uh, I'm over it. I, I just, I don't want to say that because in my mind, it's like, no, it's the next thing. There's the next thing. It's not like I'm, 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 I'm walking away from this. I'm never going to do this. No, this was a transition or a, 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 a journey that I'm on that I achieved. And now I'm moving on to my next journey. Uh, I, I got goosebumps from this speech. Uh, I love this speech. <laughs> that, that, that was excellent. Like Rocky in the sixth movie. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> I love this one. I, I have a fan question. I assume you and Frank quarreled a lot like it. And it's fans' red dream to see you clash while sparring in the Lions Den because you were his coach at one time. And I, I think that even the match was uh, sp spoken about at some point of time. But... If fight were to happen, the official fight, who do you think would win? Be honest. Dirty question. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Well, I think that, you know, obviously later in, and you talk about my brother Frank, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, later later in, in uh, his career when I was, you know, losing, he probably would have gotten the edge on me. Um, because he's he, got, he, got, he got really good, right? His skill yeah. and ground game was real good. His striking was really good. He had good coach. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it, but you know, if we're both in our prime and both very good, I win. And I think if Frank was being honest, he'd tell you the same thing because just I was just technically, condition-wise, flexibility, speed, everything. There was nothing I was weak at. My submission skills were very dominant. My strength was way way stronger than him. Um, I could throw him around like a rag doll. Um, <laughs> We were both in our primes, the bigger guy, me being the bigger guy, way bigger, would just be too much for him. But again, like I said, at the end of my career, you know, if we would have fought, I'd have probably been in trouble. Yeah. Well, that's honest. That's honest. Uh, let me tell you something, again, as a fan question, like Peter mentioned. Uh, I love your background and your belts in the background. <laughs> what are those? I, I, I can see, uh, is it the world championship? Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's both the US the very first UFC belts. Wow, that's history. 94 ultimate uh the, the super fight belts, the one with Severn and um the other one was was it old or Kim Kimbo or Oleg? I don't, I don't remember which one a long time ago, but they were the first two belts, the super fight belts, which I won. Nice. Mm, yeah, nice. that's that's history there, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> you also joined the bare knuckle fighting industry a couple of years ago, and you are promoting your own promotion, Valor Bare Knuckle. And what can we expect to see there except more blood? <laughs> yeah, it's uh I think it's the next uh step in combat sports. Mm -hmm. Um I I think we're going back to where we first started out, which was the bare knuckle. Um, mixed martial arts or M MMA, no holes barred. They put gloves on guys. And, and to me, I think it took away the purity of, of the sport. Guys would punch from anywhere. They don't have to worry about hurting their hand. They could punch in the back of the head. Uh, it slows down submissions, the chokes, the heel hooks, all the things with the big glove on there. It's hard to get. Guy catches a guy ba uh, guy's back. It used to be 90% of the time they're going to get choked out. Now it's 50-50 because of the glove. So I think going back to bare knuckle um, and just the bare knuckle boxing, um, I think boxing is, is a great sport. It's a great foundation for fighting. I think it's, it's dying right now because there's yeah. no excitement in it. And I believe by taking the gloves off, um, we bring back that excitement. Um, but bringing the gloves back with no tape, nothing to, to make your hands that way, you, you bring back the purity of striking where the accuracy is what counts. If you're not accurate, then you break your hand. To me, that's where I think that the purity of the fight comes in, where you're basically telling guys, listen, you're going to fight with what God gives you, which is your bare knuckles. And then if you strike and you hit the accurate place, you're going to get rewarded. But if you strike and you hit the forehead or the side of the head, you're not going to be rewarded. Um, to me, I think that's where the purity of the fighting comes in. Not getting rewarded for being a slugger, just throwing from anywhere, but being a fighter, and being rewarded for being very accurate and very fast. And I think that's where bare knuckle is going to come in. 
It's going to take over boxing. It's going to make it exciting again. And it's going to give people a reason why they should watch it. And I think once we get that message out uh, that it's not barbaric, it's not violent, it's not vicious as far as more than any other combat sport. Um, in fact, it's safer and it's more longevity because it's forcing guys to have to back up on the power and be more accurate and use good footwork and good hand speed and good accuracy. And, uh, and you get rewarded for that. So they're faster. Um, they're fun to watch. Obviously, there's a lot more cuts because it's bare knuckle. But as far as brain damage and long-term brain damage, um, there's a lot of, lot of proven facts out there that by putting a glove on a guy and protecting the hand, you're not uh, protecting the guy's head. You're protecting the hand. And therefore, you're causing more brain damage by protecting the hand. I'll be honest, I haven't seen a, a bare knuckle fight in my life, but you got me hooked up. <laughs> right yeah, I, I, I still, for me, I still can't like accept it sometimes, but maybe in a few years, a few years ago, I can't. So. Yeah, but uh, well, again, I think too, it's it really is it's education because I remember when we first came out with the uh, no holes barred bare knuckle where guys are kicking each other in the head, the very first fight, right? I realized that that was exciting, but it's not going to last, right? Because you're endangering people. That that's that's a little too much. Even though I was like, yeah, but I get it. Like, okay, that's not going to last. But what they did was, I think they went beyond the the part of just trying to be safe, and they put a four ounce glove on a guy, and now they're letting him take their hand under a four ounce glove, and now you're telling me that that glove you're saying is safer than a bare knuckle. I'm like, put a bowling ball up, hit that bowling ball. Tell me with the glove, with that MMA glove, and without that MMA glove, and tell me, tell me if, if that's safer. Because what you're doing is you're patting a rock, and you're saying I'm gonna punch you in the head, and that rock can't get hurt. Uh, I just, it's, and me being a fighter, I understand it because I've done them all. I just can't understand the logic behind that. Like, hey, let me pat your hand so you can punch him a hundred times instead of only ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, but uh, I'll still need a couple of more years <laughs> to get used, <laughs> but it's all right, yeah. Uh, well, you're still in the combat sports. We talked about it this whole time. You are still competing, but there's this saying that every fighter has one last fight in him. And if you knew what, that you're going to have the last fight, who will be your opponent? Who would you choose? In both pro wrestling or MMA? And yeah. I'm I'm not gonna go where you think I'm gonna go on this one because I've fought a lot of great guys um, and I've had a great career. But uh, I believe that the 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 next fight, the next greatest fight for me, is going to be able to put an organization together that's going to be able to bring something that fans are going to enjoy watching, that fighters are going to enjoy doing, and that it's going to make money it's the, the the fighters you're never going to hear the well you're always going to hear complaining but you're not going to hear the same situations that you hear out of these other places of fighters not being paid and at the end of their careers they're broke we're going to build something that's going to help protect them long term uh and be able to help them make money and be a part of the organization forever as long as they're willing to keep using their name for the organization uh using crypto nfts um the uh, metaverse, all different ways to be able to help these guys create an opportunity for business through the names they built through fighting, through these different things and industries while we promote it and push it on our sites. So it'll be a world that it will just keep growing and everybody's going to make money because there's opportunity for them to keep pushing their names through these metaverses and other ways. So for me, that is my next fight. That's my greatest fight is to improve the world of fighting. You just blow my mind. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. And, uh, hearing you speak now about this last fight metaphor, uh, it sounds to me because I listen to you a lot uh, talking about Bob, Bob Shamrock, and it seems to me like you accepted his, you inherited his spirit in life, not just in raising your own children or in the fight, but that's astonishing. I, I did. Uh, he was great. You know, did a lot of great things for me. 
um, and gave me an opportunity to be able to see life in a different way. Um, I was a violent kid. I hated everybody. When I was 10 years old till I was 13, I had strong arm robbery. I'd stab people. I mean, I was violent, but, but he helped me understand that there's the, the world isn't, isn't the way I thought it was, you know, being taken advantage of, not having a place to live, living on the street. Uh, you, you think a world's a certain way because that's all you see. Well, he helped me see things differently. And so I'm very appreciative of that. And I've taken a lot of that spirit, a lot of things that he was doing. Um, obviously, you got to be successful yourself. That was the first thing he said. You've got to make sure that you are comfortable and you're successful. But once you do that, turn around and help other people have the same opportunities and give them chances to do things that they want to do, because it doesn't take much for you to be able to help somebody. Um, and so I really took that to heart once I became famous and I uh, got a, a, in the people's eye and stuff like that. I, I've never stopped doing that. I've always reached out to group homes and kids and donated money and, and been a part of programs. And, and even today, I'm still a part of stuff. So it's been a really great opportunity for me. And that's what I'm doing with my organization called Valor Bare Knuckle. Um, we're getting ready to do our first fight coming up here in the next three or four months. We have to be a Valor BK2. Um, but it's the same idea I had was to improve the pay, but not in a way to where it's going to come off of our business, but being able to build in metaverses and NFTs and wearables and all these other opportunities for these guys to get involved to help make money even after they're done fighting, because these things keep making money as long as you're willing to keep putting work into it. So this was a great way to be able to build in that opportunity for the fighters um, but at the same time, build something with uh, no cages and, and, and no fence, no ropes. It's completely clear. When you sit in the front row, you literally have the best seats in the house. Um, visually, it's great. It uh, makes the fights faster and more exciting because there's no ropes to lay on, no cages to lay on. So it forces you to have to fight. Uh, and the fights are much faster. And so I think that we've come up with something that uh, is going to be exciting and it is the future. And so I look forward to it and it's all, uh, it all came from the, from me wanting to make the, the space better or try to make it better. Yeah. I noticed a few things, but I have to ask, uh, you, your, your dream was lion's den and Baylor B, uh, Bernacle have the lion for its logo. So you seems like you are inspired by lions <laughs> in some way. They're king of the jungle, man. You know, um, they're in the way that they hunt, the way that they circle in packs, the way they grab and pull and bite the neck. It just it looked like grappling to me when when you saw them um, really come in and attack their prey, the way they work together as a team. Um, it, it really get, it really was cool. So I adopted that when I saw the animal kingdom and watched them. And literally they were named uh, king of the jungle. Right. So, I thought, you know, what? I'm the king of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> well uh for the end this is this was very enjoyable talk and we, we could talk for a few for a few days but for the end we have a little tradition we are just a couple of students with few dreams from montenegro and we have this little tradition to say a quote or verse on our language montenegro and we translate it to english and uh we had uh, one guy 100 years ago, Nikola Petanovic, that was his name. And he was in the USA after the World War One. He because we were on the side of the victors uh, of the Allied forces after the World War One, and we lost the country in the meantime. Yeah. <laughs> we lost. And, right. and we, we saw hope in US, as he said, the US of Washington and Lincoln. And he had this, uh, this uh, phrase in his speeches. That's on our language. And on English, it would, it would be something like Montenegrins proved to be the Spartans from the Balkans and emperors from the mountains. And that's just the mentality of our people that I wanted to share with you. And even Trump, in one, uh, in one of his speeches on NATO, when he was a president, he, he said we are dangerous people, but he was wrong. Aggressive. <laughs> aggressive. I he was they are very aggressive people. Uh, but we're not. <laughs> no, we're cool. But we're just ladies. Yeah, we were we are warriors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, back anybody into a corner, man. 
you never know what you're going to get, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was it for everybody listening this. Do you have any message for the end? For everybody out there? Yeah, your fans, our fans, anybody. Yeah, I just want to say, you know, first of all, man, I had a great career. Um, I enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, a lot of people, uh, not a lot of people, some people probably think or or have comments about me fighting too long. And I say to them, um, it wasn't for them, right? It was for me. Uh, I had to know that I was done, that I had no more fight left in me. I was, my whole life, I've been able to overcome all kinds of obstacles and still be the champion, still rise to the top. And even in my career, when I started losing at the end of it, I felt like I could still win. I could come out of this. I could overcome it. Because of the way I was built, like always a fighter, I'll, I'll die a fighter. Same thing. I'll never have that feeling where I can't overcome something. And so even though I was losing those fights, I still believe that I, I there was a way for me to come back. And that's why I fought as long as I did, even losing, because I felt like I could still overcome it. Obviously, Father Time is undefeated, and therefore I did not uh, accomplish that. But I know that now. Like if I would have stopped, Back when people were saying, hey, you should retire, you had a great career, I would be second guessing myself today and wondering whether or not I could have done more. And that's a horrible feeling, not knowing whether or not you gave it all. I don't ever want to be that person and not know that I gave everything I could to do, do something right. Um, so that's my that's what I want to say to people and the fans out there is that I enjoyed my career. I love my career, even the end of my career where I was losing some of my fights, but I knew that this is what I had to do in order for me to walk away and feel good about it. So um, just so that everybody has clarity on that, because I know that question comes up a lot of time. Do you think you fought longer than you should have? No, because I knew when I was done and I had to know that because nobody else could know that for me. So I appreciate everybody, all the, the following and everything they've done over the years, the support I've gotten. Appreciate you guys for bringing me on. But uh, I enjoyed myself. I regret nothing uh, that I've done in my career. Obviously, we would all love to go back and change things. But it's just not the way things are, man. Those are things that we are. That's what makes us who we are. And uh, now there's another chapter, you know, Valor Bare Knuckles, the next thing I'm coming up with. Um, we're going to be uh, making that announcement in the next couple months. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned for that, ValorBK.com, if you want to follow us. But uh, big things coming there. I believe that's the next generation or evolution in combat sports. Uh, things are coming your way. It's exciting. It's fast. It's fun. Uh, and I look forward to it. And I thank you guys for having me on. And thank I you for the opportunity. Yeah. So you heard ValorBK.com or ValorBK on Instagram, Facebook, they are everywhere. I know it myself. And thank you, Ken, again. Thank you very much. Okay. I, Appreciate I just... We stay genuine, uncensored and unscripted, and we always will, as we have to order our usual. Share us and subscribe us and stay tuned until the next Wednesday. Iguzo!